You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey guys, this is Rick Hadrava and you're listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. I so appreciate the fact that you've tuned in today and you know, one of the things you get out of building your network and and just expanding your community is you get introduced to new people with new backgrounds and experiences and fascinating stories from time to time. And today's guest is that person in my mind, uh, Michelle Rigby Assad. She's a former undercover officer in the CIA, trained as a counterterrorism specialist, and she served her country for 10 years working in Iraq and other secret Middle Eastern locations. I love anytime I see the word secret. Upon retirement from active service, Michelle and her husband, Joseph, also a former agent, joined a group of Americans who wished to aid persecuted Christians. Their efforts resulted in the evacuation of a group from northern Iraq, and that was featured on ABC's 2020 back in December of 2015. Michelle holds a master's degree in contemporary Arab studies from Georgetown University, and today she's a keynote speaker, a trainer, an author, and international security consultant. Please help me in welcoming to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast, Michelle Rigby Assad. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Rick. Thanks so much for having me. I, I got to tell you, I just love introductions like that. They're short, they're sweet, but boy, there's some intrigue in there. Um, <laughs> but let's let's start with this. Give us a little background you joined the CIA. I mean, how in the world did you get that path in life? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because I'm from a very small town in central Florida. So uh, I didn't know that the CIA was actually a real job. So it never occurred to me to even think of anything of that nature in terms of a career. But what I, I had was this passion to like travel and passion to understand foreign cultures, which started as a teenager. And um, so I harnessed that, and I studied abroad, and I did mission trips in the Middle East and started building my knowledge. Well, eventually, and very strangely, that led me into the CIA um, right before 9-11. And what a time, what a time to become an undercover CIA officer, but literally a month before 9-11. And so then my husband and I spent 10 years uh, doing counterterrorism work primarily in the Arab world. And then after 10 years of war zones and really, really challenging career in intelligence, we left and made the huge transition out of the government and into civilian life. Well, I have to ask, so you left and, and that was a personal decision for you. You obviously loved your time there. Was there a particular uh, incident or event or reason that you chose to to retire after 10 years? Um, it, well, there were many, but primarily I would say we were exhausted. So if you can imagine 10 years of war zones and really difficult places where um, we lived in areas of the world you were constantly being targeted. So as an American citizen, 
you had to like walk around looking for hostile surveillance, um, driving your car, looking for someone holding an AK-47 that wants to shoot you up. I mean, that was our life for a good portion of 10 years. And you just can't keep that pace up forever. And, you know, you, you've been separated from families and friends and you, you've kind of missed out on life. Like you're out on the edge of the world doing crazy things. People are having birthdays and anniversaries and babies, and you have missed out on it all. So, I mean, at some point, you're like, what would a normal life be like? And wouldn't that be kind of cool? You know, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that because it kind of gives us a peek behind the veil of, of what it's like. And, and it sounds to me like, were you ever able to relax uh, on a daily basis? Or were you always kind of on edge, you know, it, when you're doing that work? No. Oh my gosh. That's such a great question. No, we, um, there were very few places we lived where we could relax. So even in one, like, okay, so you're safely in your home, but you've got guards guarding your gate. And it was a place where there was always explosions going on. So there was shooting and explosions at all hours of the day. And that was like normal. <laughs> and then in a war zone, there's no relaxation. So even when you're in your little pod, if they start shooting rockets, then you have to jump out of bed in the middle of the night and run to the bunker. So there was never peace in Baghdad and places like that. It was just, and that's a very exhausting way to live. So I, I now get a clearer picture as to why you came back. (laughs) (laughs) So, so while we're on the topic though, um, is there, is there a good story um, that you could share um, that might be of interest to our audience? Oh, sure. <laughs> it, was, um, it wasn't an easy career, especially as a female. Um, and my husband, who's originally from the Middle East, being a minority, I think it was really tough for us to kind of navigate the CIA. But when we were, um, it was like in Baghdad, when I finally was given the opportunity to deal with terrorist. Here, here I was, you know, a training for this in the agency and they kept telling me like, well, you know, you're a female, you're a woman, you can't do this job. So you're training me to do it. You're certifying me to do it, but then you won't let me do it. So then when I actually finally got a chance, I go about it into a great deal and breaking cover how this all came about, my book. I finally got in front of this really nasty terrorist source that my husband was running. And I got to use my gifts so empathy and, and a strong communication skills and incredible knowledge of Arab culture to make a connection with that crazy terrorist and get him to give me the intelligence I wanted that he'd been holding back. And then to walk out of the room at the end of that day and say, oh, holy cow, I finally realized I'm halfway through my CIA career and I finally realized that I actually am really good at this job. So after years of being told I wasn't good enough, I didn't fit the profile of a successful intelligence officer, I actually was, I was like, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm really good at this. Well, and so, that's, that's, my fan- life. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic validation, isn't it? So, so my question then I have to follow up with the obvious before we move on is, is there more female presence today? Um, I think there remains a great struggle. Um, the CIA culture is very different and very shielded from like societal development. So they're, you know, decades behind where the rest of the world is. So I don't imagine that since I've left, it's changed all that much. 
what you have to really do is you have to look beyond gender. You have to look beyond someone's appearance and say, okay, what skills are you bringing to the table? You know, what, what knowledge, what expertise do you hold and how can we harness that? So I, I don't think we're doing a better job. I think we're good at window dressing, but when the, where the rubber meets the road, are we getting the right people in to deal with terrorists or um, double agents or difficult sources? I don't think so. Okay. Well, we'll see how that progresses, but it's an interesting situation, an interesting experience that you bring. So, so you retire from the CIA, um, come back to the States. What, ha- what happens next for you in your, in your life, in your career? I have to spend a moment talking about this because we had such great trepidation at leaving the agency, and it was a very difficult thing to do, Rick. So we felt like it was time to leave, but what are you going to do? You don't know what you're worth. You don't know how this crazy set of weird skills applies to anything in real life. And you don't know, like I jump out of this government boat. I'm, I'm decently paid. I have a lifelong <laughs> career I can stay in and it's easy. Despite upturn, upturns or downturns of the economy, I will still have a job at the CIA. And if I leave this, Who's going to hire me? Nobody knows who I am. I have no Rolodex. I have no social media. I have no connections. How do I, how do I make this work? And so we had to get over a lot of fear and intimidation. And for us, the real critical piece was getting someone on the outside who knew what our capabilities were and who could help promote us in, um, as an international security consultant. So we needed someone to help us make that great leap. And thank God we did have that, pro- you know, found a few people who were very helpful to us. So expand on that. So what, what did, what transpired then once you made those changes? Because I know you, you have taken the opportunity to take your gifts, figure out your purpose and you do keynotes and presentations. You've been on television. Um, you do podcasts, and you do training for law enforcement, corporate security, counterintelligence. Uh, I'm reading through this list. I, I see national athletes and sports management mm-hmm. teams. So obviously, you created a business, and that's the core of this podcast, right? The entrepreneurial program is all about you know how do we do it and encouraging entrepreneurs. How did you get there, though, once you transitioned and you said, hey, you had some help and uncovered that? Yeah, that's so I think when you're building a business, when you're an entrepreneur, the fundamental thing is what problems are you solving for someone else, right? So the way to get ahead is to say, how do I marry my passions and my skills with problems other people are having? And so being able to be brought into a business world like the Middle East to help U.S. businesses that are trying to function in a very different environment they don't, they don't understand, we came in, we were able to say, okay, we can help you understand how to interact with people, what they're asking you, how to communicate with them, who do you work with? Um, so we solved very thorny and very difficult problems for companies in the Middle East. And that was the first time I really truly understood Like you have to, it's not about selling yourself. It's selling how can you help other people solve their problems. So, so today, what does, what does your business look like? Yeah. So we have, um, so our consulting firm, for instance, 
is helping a couple of companies doing business in the United Arab Emirates. You can have an amazing product and you can provide an incredible service, but if you don't know how to set up a company in the UAE, if you don't know how to choose the right Emirati partner, if you don't know how to jump through all of these hoops that are required of you, you're going to fail. So we really, our, our job, our purpose is to help people save time, money, and millions of dollars by doing it the right way the first time. So, so can you give an example of a company, because I'm thinking of obviously a company that wants to export, but maybe not. But can you give us an example of a company that you've worked with, you know, how that progressed? Sure. So uh, so we have one company that um, works with uh, open source uh, information center that was setting up business um, like in the Middle East as like a partnership with the Emirati government, but they'd never worked in the Middle East before. So walking them through how to even set up a company, um, how to uh, choose and vet the right managers to work for you, uh, that that that's critical. We had another consulting opportunity where we had an oil firm that was opening up operations in a very new country, like a new place for them in the Middle East. And they knew nothing about what was going on on the ground there. So they came to us and said, okay, we're going to start operations here. First of all, is that a good idea? Second of all, are there terrorists there? Uh, are there counterterrorism issues? Do people like us? Do they hate us? What's the ground truth that so we can, number one, be aware, and number two, look to protect our people and our operations? So we really excel in helping people understand these new environments that they're working in. And I got to think that's hugely valuable to a company wanting to do that. I guess the thing that I think of um, as I'm listening to you talk about that, Michelle, is where is that? Um, where is that today? Are we seeing more growth in that area, or are people a little more reluctant to venture out into the Middle East for business purposes today? Um, I think COVID's changed everything and just the way that our economy is struggling, the economies of the Middle East are struggling. So right now, I'll give you an example in the Emirates, uh, in Qatar and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, they're sending um, thousands of workers home, people that have been serving in those countries, like even for a lifetime. So we're talking about Egyptians, we're talking about Filipinos and Indians, all getting sent back a lot of them getting sent back home. So the economy is really, really hurting. And the, the uh, trickle-down effect in all those other countries these workers come from, it, they're going to feel that uh, very, it's going to be hard on them too. Yeah. So right now, business, it's in a weird place in the United States and across the globe. Interesting. Well, and that, I mean, as we know, lots have changed since March of 2020. So here you are a business owner. You've been doing this for a while. What are some of your challenges as a business owner that are both similar from your experience in the CIA, but, but then also what are some of the differences, the things that you've had to grow and, and develop as a business owner yourself? Yeah, so for, for Joseph and I, we're really good at operations. Like we are those people who just live and breathe how to carry out solid, good, impactful operations in difficult places. Rick, what we're not good at is marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, thankfully, our, our little boutique firm it works on word of mouth, and that's really what's gotten us business. 
But let's say, for example, last year, I love public speaking. I'm a keynote speaker. I had 33 speaking events last year. And uh, after March, it went down to zero. <laughs> yes. How did you pivot out of that, Michelle? Yeah. So what I, you, can, you can sit and you can cry about it and talk about how horrible it is, or you can think to yourself, okay, what now? Move forward. Um, I've been thinking about for six years the fact that I want to create online training. And I'm like, here's your, here's your grand opportunity. You have no excuses. You're not traveling anywhere. You're not going anywhere. So, Rick, I am pivoting my business to go from in-person public speaking events to providing value for companies online in a way that's easy for them to access and that's fun and different. So that's my pivot. Okay. Well, and I, I understand. You know, I always joke, we had workshops going. I thought we were on track to have our best year ever. And then um, it all shut down in, in just a minute of a, you know, or a snap of the fingers, if you will. Um, right. So I want to go back because I don't want this to fall through. You wrote a book called Breaking Cover. When did you write that book and why did you feel compelled to write it? So, um, Breaking Cover was published in February 2018, and I felt um, what I would what I define as like a spiritual calling to write the book. So I felt like I learned so much, I've come so far, and I feel like the lessons that I've learned are so critical that it's things that everyone struggles with. And so I wanted to help people kind of grasp concepts you hear about every day, but like in a new and completely different way, like lessons of being in the CIA and those crazy stories of working with terrorists and all of that. So really the, the whole point of breaking cover is encouraging people to do the hard things, right? So there's always a choice. You can kind of try to go with the flow or be different and choose difficult. And so in, you know, I could have had a fluffy 10 year career in the CIA going to really nice places. Instead, I had 10 very difficult, hard years. And for a long time, Rick, I thought, why? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why can't I go somewhere nice? Um, at the end of that 10 years, I realized that I had this level of counterterrorism and counterintelligence expertise that was off the charts. I mean, you don't get that living in uh, Polynesian islands in Tahiti. Like, you get that in war zones dealing with difficult people. So, like, I'm on a mission to help people be resilient, to get past their fear, and to do really hard things. Well, and it's very impressive. And I, I'm going to tell you, uh, we appreciate you guys and your service. I know it's it's been meaningful for you, but I can only imagine – you know, the meaningful for, for those of us in this country. So thank you. So, so let's, you. Let, let's look at it from this perspective. You know, here you are somebody that's been overseas for 10 years in the CIA. You've got a business. Um, you get to talk to people, even though that's pivoting, you've written a book as an entrepreneur, how would you define what freedom means for you? Wow. So Freedom, I think, probably means a lot of the same things, but the level of freedom. When we worked in war zones, I, we were working 10 to 14 hours a day, and we were dealing with life and death issues every minute of every hour. So it wasn't like, oh, I got in a call from my source who's telling me the location 
of um, the car bomb that they're constructing. You know, I'm tired or I'm <laughs> busy and we'll just worry about that later. That stuff had to go out immediately. And so it was like hair on fire constantly. And um, and so you basically uh, have to get really, really good at reacting quickly. And um, uh, freedom, freedom means not having to run to the bathroom because I don't have even time to use the bathroom. Freedom means I'm not getting sent to a new country every single year where the government chooses for where I go and what I do. Freedom means I'm not looking over my shoulder every hour of the day wondering whether I'm going to get shot at or uh, there's going to be an explosion near me. Freedom means finally having the time to be creative and not just hair on fire decisions, you know, quickly. So it means, you know, setting your own times and hours, just like all the rest of your listeners, the way that they see it, but probably ours is a little bit more extreme. Um, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, we use a concept called um, being comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And it feels like you were groomed to be uncomfortable or be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that served yeah. you well, served you well in your entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I, I really, truly appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, listen, yes, because like as we're as we're trying to pivot forward in 2020, we're all uncomfortable. Like this is horrible. It's even scary. And a lot of people are in, in, in dire economic straits. So we have a choice here. Um, understand it's, it's uncomfortable and figure out like, okay, we have to make a change. Change is difficult. I hate marketing. I'm learning to market. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, you've been taught to hide for 10 years. Now you're like, got to put yourself out there all the time. You do the things that are uncomfortable to move yourself forward. So if I had one thing that I would love for your listeners to take away from this is be okay with discomfort because that's how you know you're, you're going to get to where you need to go. I think that's great. And it's great advice. And, you know, the other side of that is I think the people you surround yourself with, your community, and now, I mean, let's be honest, financially, a lot of businesses are struggling, but a lot of yeah. innovation, a lot of innovation is happening. I see it all the time. There are businesses thriving as well, but it does come from your community as well. You know, and, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, maybe it's one of your presentations that, they're taking the time to be a part of or, or something, but being around other entrepreneurs who are challenged with the same things and yeah. being able to bounce off of them and use their strengths. Maybe marketing's not your strength, but maybe somebody in your community can show you a thing or two that helps you get out there and, and get some results. So I think it's great. Exactly. And I really, I really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be on our show. You know, unfortunately we're coming to, the end of the show. And I feel like we could go on. Um, I know there's some more stories in there, but um, we're, we're going to have the pleasure of having you on one of our freedom series calls real soon. And so we'll, we'll go more that way, but la any, any last leaving thoughts that, that you would like to share with our listeners um, before we wrap up today? Sure. Um, if, if you're one of the, if you're one of the people like us, who's struggling to move yourself forward you know, fear, fear, you, um, fear is a very powerful thing. So I think the idea is to acknowledge the fear and push past it. So um, don't, because uh, fear also prevents you from being innovative and creative. So if you can acknowledge that you feel that way and then push yourself through it to the point of 
I'm not going to let it stop me, my brain from thinking in a way or putting myself in situations where I can be creative and I can think outside the box and I can say, how do I need to do business differently? So there's that, that, that fear acknowledgement, but not letting it hold you back. Excellent. I, I really, I think you're spot on with that. And I hope our listeners will take that to heart. Michelle, if somebody wants to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, maybe reach out to you, make contact. What's the best way for them to do that? Oh, yeah. So my website, which is my three-part name, uh, Michelle Rigby Assad, which I'm, you can probably put up because no one will remember that. We'll but, put um, it in our show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, to be on my website, there's a contact form. So if people want to contact me or ask questions, they can do that. And also, you, they can learn more about the book, Breaking Cover, and how to purchase it, and um, speaking topics for speaking events, and et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, listen, really, again, thank you for being on the show. Hang on with me for just a minute, and and we'll we'll continue our conversation. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur. You know, it's it's one of the messages I want to share on that is, you know, we all come from different walks of life, all backgrounds. And what I love about entrepreneurs is they truly are the problem solvers in the world and will put themselves out there. And, you know, I just want to encourage that. That's one of the reasons we wanted to do this show in the first place. So thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, please remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.